When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. All right, welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. Ah, oh my gosh, this is so much fun. I'm so excited. We are here in the uh, virtual West Craven li- uh, Memorial Library <laughs> uh, with two former wonderful guests of Fright School. We've got Zakia and TJ here with us today to uh, help us wrap up our series on uh, Black Horror for Black History Month, Women in Horror Month, lots to lots of intersections <laughs> in this in uh, in this series. So welcome y'all. Good to be here. It's an absolute pleasure, guys. Yay. Um, so first of all, I do want to have a little um, uh, on Instagram, our Eve's Bayou post got liked by um Miss Miss Lynn, uh, you know, so I was very excited about that. Whitfield, Lynn um, Whitfield liked us. Yeah, what? Miss, it's Miss Lynn Whitfield is her. Oh, I'm official. I apologize, apologize. Yeah, uh, Instagram. So I was very excited by that. That that made my uh, week for our Instagram post. I'm like, yay! Just Sam Wayne um, Wayman. Sam Wayman actually liked our Ganja and Hess posts uh, about his uh, soundtrack, his record. So I was very excited about that too. So it's been a lovely Instagram week, uh, dear listener. If you're not following us, find us on Instagram and you know follow, like everything. <laughs> Uh, so that's that's the news so far for the week. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, so no, we're uh, I want to start. We're going to do sort of a little, um, you know, uh, discussion about um, I, Blackula. Uh, let's just start there. Let's start with Blackula. We're just going to have like a little uh, mini conversation. We did that as the first um uh, film in this series, but I know TJ is a fan, and Zakia saw it for the very first time. So I did want to kind of just let's dive in and and chat a little bit about that. TJ, you said it was one of your favorite films of like horror or in general. It's definitely one of my favorite horror films, and I okay. love it. I think that it is so unabashedly campy in a way that like is like early seventies black exploitation meets horror meets like a way in which like there's this there's an element where you can you can do certain things that are not still so so rare that they're not yet cheesy so like 
African prince Mabuwalde trying to stop slavery. He's like, now we'd be like, ma'am, ma'am, what is you doing? Right? But in 1972, like, that's just fucking wild. They're like, do we want to have an abolition angle? And then Dracula is just a honky like the rest of them that oppresses us. Yeah. I, I mean, that was so great. Like, I love it. <laughs> Is also I love that that it was so successful that they were just like no we're gonna bring you back but I'm like Dracula straight died Blackula died at the end but then you made more there's Scream Blackula Scream which if you haven't seen Scream Blackula Scream also if that is not the most 1973 name for a movie that I've ever heard of <laughs> also good less good less good but it is definitely delightful I just love it it's so cheesy and it is I I find that like it's like it's I, I describe it as my favorite as the Luke Cage of horror movies. And I'm like, yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, um, the sequel, Pam Greer's in that, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's one of Pam Greer. Like people don't usually talk about coffee. They talk about they're like, oh yeah, the screen black and the scream. She in that one? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to watch it because I'd read um, I think in Horror Noir it talks about, you know, it's one of the few times we see like voodoo as this like safe. Saving, you know, rather right. than this evil thing, it's like, you know, and I, I was like, man, we have to watch that. So <laughs> we'll have to uh, to pair that with something, you know, it's, eventually. It's, it's so it's so cheesy and it's just a genre that I I feel like we don't get enough of. I I definitely if you do want to watch something that is super cheesy, like I might watch Scream Black and the Scream. And then did you guys ever watch A Vampire in Brooklyn? Because Vampire in Brooklyn is. Just, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's crazy? I feel like, yeah. I just feel like that's also like I just like I like to think of those as like genre bending or challenging sort of ideas about that yeah yeah huh interesting yeah no that's very um i think that's you know an astute connection (laughs) uh zakia what about you what did you think upon you saw it for the first time let's see um you know the weirdest thing that uh, that i'm thinking of is that i just recently watched um in the heat of the night for the first time that's with cindy poitier and he's you know they call me mr tibbs they call me mr tibbs and i and um like the thing about blackula that reminded me of that was just like these cop this you know you've got this cop who's just like he knows everything like he's the smartest person like he can talk back to white people he can do whatever he wants. And I think there's something very much about that era of like it being this like amazing thing to watch this black guy just sort of run, you know, these white people, these black people and just be super confident and just doing whatever they need to do in order to get the job done without any inhibitions. Um, And that's the thing that sticks out the most. Um, I was kind of, um, I was just watching it for fun, you know, like I wasn't thinking very deeply about it. I was, I think I expected there to be more themes about racism and colonialism um, more overtly and stuff, but it's fine that it wasn't there. It was just a fun um, horror movie. Like good times. Good times. Could we remake Blackula? Could we get like, you know, the Kenya Barris treatment of Blackula? (laughs) And (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like, like a, like a Kenya Barris movie, Blackula, and it like you know who who's your Blackula in in the reboot in the twenty twenty one reboot? It's probably not Anthony Anderson, right? Like he's no. exactly, <laughs> I mean, he has played cops, but like he doesn't exactly. He wouldn't make a Dracula, probably not, right? Um, yeah, that's a good question. How about Winston Duke? Oh. Winston Duke as Mama Walde would be. Winston like Duke it. as Mama Walde would be amazing. That, I'd, be I'd watch. So, I'd 
sign me up. Also, I would like, I would like us like Dracula. Just people have to be like, man, Dracula, real racist. Like, I feel like that has to be <laughs> like, in the new version. Like, man, even Dracula white, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, hi, can you like help me fight slavery? And he's like, no, but I'm gonna bite your, <laughs> your wife. And I'm gonna bury you in this castle. And I'm like, this is so right? It'll have to be get Michael Fassbender because it'll just be like you know the line from Twelve Years a Slave, and it'll just be like Michael Fassbender as Dracula. Yeah. I think I'll be fine, you know. This well, and maybe get Leonardo DiCaprio or like a yeah. just likes being that person. I'm like historically racist as like a character actor. I'm Leonardo I'm DiCaprio will get Don Johnson. Everyone who's <laughs> a slave owner. Uh, James Vanderbeek made a pretty good uh, audition tape with this. Like he can definitely be our racist Dracula for sure. Yes. I feel like we combine bad hair and now bad hair and uh, pose, and we're like, oh, so the the James Vanderbeek 1980s coke asshole reel is very strong. Mm. <laughs> yes. Mm. Yeah. Mm. He's, got a, he's got a new lane. <laughs> it's fine. Love it. Yeah, no. I, I do want to say one thing I really liked about Black Gila, that um, when I, I was thinking about it for talking about you guys, it's 1972. It's, so it's there's a lot going on there, but it's really interesting that I hadn't thought about this until I was thinking, what would I talk about this with Josh and Joe about? Um, the role of, of gay people in this movie too, right? Oh, the, yeah. The, the catalyst for this are like these gay interior designers are like, oh my God, I love this coffee. Right. What does it mean that like that's what brings them back, right? And also that they are pu- they are real publicly gay in like yeah. 1992, like, right. and then they die real fast. <laughs> it was kind of shocking. I was like, does everyone else know that they're gay? Does, does like, am I the only one seeing this? Like, <laughs> they're literally interior decorators who are clearly fucking, right? Yeah. <laughs> But what was so interesting to me, and I didn't mention this in the in the Blackula episode, but what's interesting to me is that like with gay couples, there's uh, maybe it's just my experience, but like I, I feel like with gay couples, there's at least a similarity of like look. And they couldn't be more different. Like he was white guy was white guy at the time with the feathered hair, and black guy was black guy with the afro, but like there was no like they they did not look like they were together right. when like I'm expecting like you know two guys both named Jason like walking in mm-hmm. um, as you normally see on like you know a Saturday night at Riches and so like with <laughs> Jason with a Y we're very different we're very this one has blue nail polish yeah. it's different right. yeah. oh my but that's what's that's what's fascinating about that is bec- and that's what when we talked about it in the uh, in the episode was like that question. It's like, yeah, what are they trying to say about because the director wanted to talk about racial like harmony. And so you have this like queer couple who are basically serving as like one of the things that um, to other in like a black exploitation film, you know, because otherwise another in, in other films, the black people are othered. So if you have right. if you have right. a whole black cast, who is the other? You know, and so there's kind of a use for queerness there, but also is this like example of, yeah, two radically different people that are obviously are in business together, are in love together, um, buying castle memorabilia, (laughs) shipping it, Uh, you know, so it's just like, what is the what is being said about them? I thought, yeah, I did not expect to come out of out of blackula wondering about that so much. Like, what what are they trying to say about queer people? Like, you know. 
Well, and there's, there's such a, they're an integral plot device as a couple, right? Because not only do they bring us Blackula, right? They buy the coffin transport, but they also are the means by which Blackula then meets his, his imagined reincarnated lover, right? This is wife, because they're part of their diffuse circle of friends now slash mourners, right? That are there. Mm-hmm. It's because of this, this, this this weird queer this interracial queer couple that then has this sort of alternative group of friends that then they not only move Blackula onto the scene but they move his reincarnated wife on the scene. I'm like, this couple's doing a lot of work for people that get killed real fast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, very well, very true. Well, I think some of the part of the thing that's confusing is that they're just treated like they're not murdered extra. Like they're not. Um, treated as like pariahs they have friends they have lives they aren't doing anything particularly demon or interesting like they're just could have been could have easily been a straight couple and it wouldn't have made a difference and for that time and and we've seen so many terrible depictions of gay people Mm -hmm. for 1972 for just to be like a matter of cause that like a bunch of people in la upper class are going to have uh multi-racial a gay couple be interior right. decorators and friends like sure of course why not you know i like it Love it. Yeah. yeah no absolutely it's a very it's a very another unique thing to blackula that i think you know gets lost like i said in the episode i'm i'm sad that like blackula felt like i felt growing up like that wasn't a film for me mm-hmm. you know and we talked mm-hmm. about that on the and that's really unfortunate because there's a lot there for everybody you know if you like horror and there's a lot to like learn from it and unfortunately the 80s and you know when when i put this together we did you know um two quote-unquote black exploitation films i still kind of reject that label for ganjin hess i feel like it is something beyond um that but regardless i kind of skipped doing an 80s film because i felt like the 80s did not learn from the like these awesome films of the 70s you know where black people kind of fell right back into just being you know killed these easily disposable characters serving certain plots and then we get into like eve's bayou and then in the the 90s obviously there there's another golden age of like incredible um art you know artistic I think films, and I'm sure there are great films in the 80s that I'm just either missing or I never saw or blah, 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 whatever. But I just, you know, I felt like, you know, we've kind of had that conversation on the show before anyways with other films of the 80s. And then Bad Hair Today is set in the 80s, which I didn't know. So I was like, okay. <laughs> very interesting. You got the um, 80s movie you wanted. You got, you got there some like, go. it's very 1989. It's lovely. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, but I was going to ask, um, TJ, if there's anything particular that you can add to you know, the discussion of Blackula within the context of like, you know, she's a professor, you know, of African history. And I'm just wondering, is there anything there that you feel like, you know, is um, not valuable? That's not the right word, but like, I don't know, something realistic or, you know, I mean, the whole because because that, again, was something, you know, about Blackula that's that's really interesting and and t- you know tanana reeve do talks about it in horror noir about that they're you know aristocratic and erudite and they traveled to him which speaks of right. like you know a certain type of wealth and a certain kind of kind of person that you know and so i'm just wondering if you have anything to say how, how realistic is it for <laughs> you know a um and like like to basically have like you know a prince go up to europe from <laughs> from africa so, so here's the fun part is it actually is not unrealistic, which is the wild part for 1780. Like, it's a little late, but, like, it would have been a thing that would not have been 
that off. It would have been more common later in like the ninth in like the nineteenth century, so like in the eighteen fifties or sixties, stuff like. So like I I write about like you know Zulu people in the nineteenth century, and so they go to London and they're just like hi hello this is cute right um and then in the sixteen hundreds the they will also go but the seventeen hundreds are like this sort of low spot for like intercontinental black travel because most of us are going on boats somewhere else of not of our own volition um right plot point but what is really interesting is that I I liked that because it, again I feel like the rendering of this is only something that would have been done in 1972, right? It's it's a weird, very bold statement, as you pointed out, Josh, of like African autonomy, right? It's like, we like to end slavery, so let's go talk to an undead white man, right? Like to ask it, like, let's go to powerful white man and ask. And I, I, lo- I love it because I'm like, what an amazing Black response to like enslavement. It's just, <laughs> Dracula. What if we ask Dracula? <laughs> <laughs> Now, right, like, what's wild is that, like, this is not unheard of, right? Is that, like, the, the, the monarchs of the Congo in the 1600s, right, 150 years earlier, are writing to the Pope, and they're like, stop it. Just, you're the Pope. We're Catholic. The people that are all capturing us are Catholic. Pope it up, Pope. And the Pope's like, mm, I don't know if I want that. Right? And so, like, there is this sense of, like, it, it fits, but it's also... It's very 1972, so, like, we get this moment of agency, but then also, like, that's it, right? They're like, we've done enough, that's it, right? <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Huh? So I feel like that wouldn't be done today, but it's this sort of really cool moment of autonomy, right? Um, but then it's it's really interesting, because like, if we did a remake of it today, we'd have to really think about then, there'd have to be some treatment, I think especially post-Black Panther, we'd have to think about if then uh, Mamuwale gets brought to... America, then there'd have to be some sort of question in a post-Black Panther, post-coming to America, post-coming to America moment of thinking about differences between Africans and African-Americans, right? So mm-hmm. then it would be almost um, a hilarious moment, right? Where we'd have to have some moment where he has to figure out that like, oh, we're not all Black people in the same way, right? Or then his reincarnated wife would have to be like, no, we don't do that, right? Like, because that I feel like, first off, would I watch this movie? Yes. Why yes. is someone not making it? Get on it. Right. But like, why is Winston Duke not get get up, Winston Duke? But, but I think those tensions would be really more interesting. But I I do love as yeah, as a nerdy African historian, like I watched this movie. I watched Blackula, I think, when I was like 18, 19 at UCSD as an undergrad. I went to Kensington Video, for those of you who are from okay. San went and rented it from Kensington Video, had my little sticker on my on my license, and like watched it in my dorm and was like. And then later became an actual grown-up African history professor. And it's, so it's one of those that's still weirdly dear to me because it's so cheesy. And yet, like, it's this weird imagining of, like, African royalty. And we still don't get that many of those movies, mm-hmm. right? Especially, like, undead African royalty trying to fight. <laughs> <laughs> Did I go as Blackula once for Halloween? Yes. Did I regret it? Never. It was- we need those pictures. Oh, my I God. I 100% send you the photos of me as Blackula because it was amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, no, that's fascinating. Thank you. I, I, you know, not to be like, oh, is it legitimate? But I was just curious, like, yeah, no, seriously, just... obviously, American history has a bit of a hole in it for um, uh, true African like understanding, you know, true African history that's not through the lens of like enslavement or through colonization. So it's like, yeah, how much, you know, when you have like a black man who's directing this film and kind of approaching in this mm-hmm. way, like, you know, is there real history lessons to be taken from it that are, that are valid and, and worthy worth, you know, um, researching and, you know, reaching for. So I appreciate Absolutely. that. Yeah. Oh, 
Oh, yeah. oh so so delicious <laughs> oh but to your point also i think we talked about it on the episode but i think there's like a james baldwin quote about that that's that horror noir applies to blackula about like the gulf of difference between the african-american and the african and how blackula plays he's the villain of the story as well as the hero because yeah. of that as well like he's preying on black people because they're there's not the same it's a um it's showing that gulf in a way it's like i don't um their their lunch i don't know right. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah i feel like if we were like if i were i am i am a historian which means that i i the imposter syndrome is strong sometimes outside of my discipline so i feel like i would just like if i were a clever like american studies hipster professor like i'd, <laughs> I'd be like let's put on these little glasses you guys can't see it on the podcast but everybody else can i'll be like oh hello i'll be like well, I just find that it really psychically is a way of understanding, right, of that gulf between, like, Africans and Africans. <laughs> <laughs> in the screen. And I'd be like, well, I'm not that clever. I think it's just really awesome to think about it. <laughs> Well, good. I guess TJ will not be trying to steal Fried School's gig anytime Because <laughs> no, we are definitely those hipsters. You know? I, I mean, like, I just keep thinking about, like, it's, you know, it's like... That whole premise of like African royalty goes to Dracula to try to end the slave, the transatlantic slave trade. It's like, well, we couldn't, you didn't have access to like any like larger like royal nobility. Like, oh, we, it's like, I got a cousin. He knows this guy. We're going to go, we're gonna go to Transylvania, um, you know, whatever the whoever I was going to say, some monarch, but I don't want to be embarrassed in front of, <laughs> in front of the historian. <laughs> We were going to ask King George III, but he was busy with Hamilton. So Thank you. I'm like, run <laughs> nice. and be played by, like, like no, a white dude. Going right? over here, like... <laughs> it's going to go over this way. It's going to go over style. this way. Run, yeah. That, that's Nicely amazing. done. Oh, my God. What if, it was, what if it was Hugh Jackman? <laughs> as Dracula? Hugh Jackman as Dracula. And then you have Mama Walde, Winston Duke. And I mean, it's just easy to insert her because it's Winston Duke, but Lupita and Yango, but like, yeah. you know, you know, yeah. we'll we'll make it someone else. We'll do like, you know, uh Gugu and Batara. Like just like first off, Gugu and Batara would be amazing. And then, but also <laughs> I like current Gugu and Batara, like as American one, who'd be like, Who is this man? Who is yeah. this <laughs> talking to me in African, right? Yeah. <laughs> Subtitle African is not an actual language. Please don't call me actually a professor of African history. I promise. Uh, yeah. well, like it, what's going to happen too is that like he, it's like you know, it's it's not Dracula. It's like some like you know nondescript white European bloodsucker right. lord. And then he's like you know, Winston Duke is resurrected. He's walking down the street, yeah. and then he's like, someone's like, who do you? Who the hell are you supposed to be? Some black? You like like that's and then, and he just, you know. And he, he bites him, and that's the only reference to it, right? Exactly. Just bites. In the middle of the word black, some black, yeah. He's like, You black killer or something? Yeah, it has to be kind of meta, I guess, to work, you know. I'm here here for it. Um, uh, we're very powerful podcast people, magic, make it happen. I want to see this, um, by next year when we're still in, (laughs) yeah, it'll be, it'll happen. Any other, um, suggestions for good black horror? Oh man, that's a really good question. So I have. I have a student who did a whole project on it and I really got a, I was just talking to her yesterday while I was re I was rewatching the end of, of bad hair. So I didn't sound like a complete like mug. Cause I'd seen it like, you know, four or five days ago. And I was like, what is time? So I was watching and I was writing to my student 
who's now who works for the Met. She's very fancy. She's all grown up. But her honors thesis was on black horror and specifically about these depictions. So um, I'm going to sh- I'll I'll double check with her and I'll shoot you guys a list because she really she's in a, a delightful Gen Z hipster. And so really likes like she's like, you really have to think about like thriller, psychological horror, Italian films from the 70s. And I was like, I don't know what any of those words mean. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, wait, wait, wait. So she, uh, okay. So like now my now my horror nerd is going to show. So she was trying to, she was she wrote a, an honors thesis about black horror, but then was trying to equate like giallo films from the nineteen seventies. Well, but she's black. also finding some that ha- incorporate like African elements. So it's like it's like like nuns that go do missionary work in Africa and then come back changed, right? And so she's just like. Mm-hmm. Her whole project was like black as monstrous and as the ways in which we like, like the, we define ourselves in relation. And I was like, this is literally what you hope to do as a professor is to meet people that are younger, cooler, and smarter than you without the same back pain that you have currently. And (laughs) how dare you be in your early twenties and flourishing. I understand vampires now, because if I could just take their youth right now, I would, but I mean, TJ, don't, don't you, when you, when someone goes to like, you know, Haiti or whatever, don't they always come back changed? Even they if do. it's like Especially for like spring break. White. Yes. Especially <laughs> if they're white, they come back changed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, I'm, I, I'm really glad that we were able to uh, chat a little bit about Blackula because I was excited when you had commented like, oh, I love this movie. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's one of those, it's like, it's so locked in that I'd never thought to talk to you guys about it because it's like. Of course it's a horror movie, but I don't even think of it as a horror movie. I think of it as like deep love, cheesy film that makes me so happy, right? Like I love Blackula. It's ridiculous. Like it is right. ridiculous. <laughs> and I try to, so I love that I'm on this podcast because I feel like Joe and Josh especially, you guys are the best people to say this sentence, right? Well, the movie makes that, the movie starts in 1780 when an African prince goes to Dracula to end the slave trade. That's not a sentence that you say to me. <laughs> <laughs> And so, like, when I get to open with that, I'm like, you know, as you do, right? And, right. Hey, Dark Lord, could you? Oh my god! I was I was about to do a like you know a a, a rearranged go down Moses, but I will not. I will, <laughs> I will spare myself. I, I will just not. I don't want to get canceled. I'm so close. <laughs> spare, so spare, so close. spare us all. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have to like make time to see, like you know. I always hear like Tales from the Hood is very good. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, but it always kind of comes up. They talk about it a lot on like horror noir. Mm-hmm. Um, not that that you know again you, that horror it is, is so good though. Book. It's like a primer. It's like did you want yeah. people in horror movies? We made one for you. You're welcome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's just so yeah. It's just very interesting. There's such like a uh, like a rich like history there that I, I think has been really obviously. I mean, like anything, it's either been ignored by the mainstream or utilized to tell new stories with white people. <laughs> yes, right? well, and yet, some of this remixing is so fascinating, right? So, I mean, if we're thinking about like horror as a genre, but not necessarily movies, right? Like, there is something really to be said about thinking about even going to like thriller, right? Thriller. Yeah sort of amazing moment of a very particular black cultural juggernaut phenomenon, right? 
when Michael Jackson is at his Beyonce-like professional height, when there's no one that can touch him. And then he's like, also, Vincent Price, you want to say terrorize y'all's neighborhood on this video? Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Also, here, the funk of 40,000 years. Oh, God. So good. The collision of that is so great, right? Because it makes new avenues for what horror can be and what... And what blackness can bring to it, right? Like, because as we talked about, blackness comes with its own, its own horror stories, right? That's yeah, yeah. 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 I'm gonna also rewatch Thriller, and I'm gonna do the dance in my apartment because I live alone, and it's a pandemic, so no one. <laughs> can you do the shot for sure remake of that pregnant, like white pregnant dance instructor who is like trying to induce labor by doing the Thriller dance? <laughs> I will not. I, I shan't. I have seen this video of which you speak, and I shan't, sir. I shouldn't. I shan't. Yeah. <laughs> my neighbors already think that my whole insanity is tenuous enough. I like stand outside sometimes, just in a caftan, like looking at the sun because I've forgotten how to socialize, and I'm like, okay, I gotta go back in because they're. I don't know how to be around people. <laughs> I, I think like once a week you should just randomly reenact the first five minutes of The Lion King, and you're <laughs> and just like. <laughs> And I will look at them all and say, I did not take five years of Zulu to not be able to practice it in this song. (laughs) It's true. This is what Joe imagines you do all day. Like in in between. (laughs) I mean, so, I mean, like, that's the thing. It's like, we're living in, we're living in an asynchronous, like, you know, learning world, pedagogical world. There's no way that you couldn't start every semester with like the sunrise over the African plane going, nah, (laughs) Uh, it would be but. the greatest thing that would happen. Yeah. Also, of course, and I've talked about this with you guys too, right? One of the worst parts about learning anything is that how deeply disappointing things are afterwards, right? That song is the most disappointing song once you know what it means. Isn't right? it like Here Comes the Lion? Yeah, it's literally Nansi Baba is There is a Lion. Look, there is a Lion, Father. Yes, there is a Lion. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. And then, of course. <laughs> There's a lion wearing the spots of a leopard. When, and the only person in Zulu culture who can wear the spots of a leopard is a king. There's a lion that is a king. Oh, cool! That well, you know, that's what it says right on the tin what the movie's about. TJ, what does Maxime Masab Makuza mean? Ah, yes, the ancient African phrase Mamasema Masama Makuza. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Is that that's gonna be some like you know that's African professor's like, t-shirt, right? Oh my God. <laughs> African proverb. Mama say mama sama makusa. Um, it says African proverb underneath it. Uh, what I'm doing this week? You know what I'm doing? <laughs> the internet. Wear it. It'll be great. Uh, yeah. So I love. <laughs> I love that you brought up Thriller because I think doesn't Thriller have? It's either at the beginning. I think it's at the beginning. Like Michael Jackson. Like you know, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I don't believe in like the. You know, whatever the dark, you know, yeah. I'm doing this, but like, you know, it's not an endorsement of evil or, of you know, horror. And uh, w- the so later on today, I have a, um, a, uh, like a, uh, oh gosh, what do you call it? Um, I think it's through crowdsource, but uh, Rachel True, she wrote a book on tarot. She did a tarot deck. I have it. I've been reading it and kind of going to these different events of hers. And she's having one later where she's discussing it. And throughout like each one, she brings up this like complicated relationship between like, uh, black people's like spiritualism, religion, um, you know, tarot, mysticism, you know, and so she's been trying to like kind of in her 
conversations, like reintroducing this to black culture um, or, or taking away this, like kind of the evil, which ties a little bit into like Eve's Bayou and the mysticism there of the Southern Gothic and um, you know, what kind of Casey lemons was doing. Uh, so I don't know. I just wanted to bring that up because I think that's also interesting when discussing black horror. Um, mm-hmm. It's something that I've heard, you know, her mentioned several times about, you know, just like maybe black culture wanted to divest from it in some way, like magic, mysticism. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there if there are any thoughts. <laughs> and I also, I would like to not always just be a dude and take up all this space from Zakina because I want to hear from you too. But I think that one of the things I'll just really briefly for like a half second say, I am so tired of sometimes like we sometimes just want to sit on our porch and just eat lunch right like i cannot just be magical all the fucking time right like i cannot guide you i cannot provide you with deep spiritual information these are literally spaghetti in this bowl and it's warm outside. <laughs> I have to eat them right like but what does it mean no 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 spirit quest for you right but we are often seen as so magical i'm just like yeah sometimes i would like a break from being Mystical. What do you you think about it in this game? I feel like I've just been like, all of my words. Oh, man. I don't have a ton to say. I'm not, I've never been a super horror fan or a super black horror fan. And then, like, my, um, you know, so much of my cultural tastes were formed by growing up in an all-white suburb. So it's like, I can't come to everything, like, super late and, like, you know, all everything's a shock. Everything's a surprise. I'm always, like, relearning things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I feel like I've only seen, I'm only like scratching the surface on the whole topic, you know? So yeah. when I think of black horror, like the movies that horrify me are like, I won't see 12 years of slave. Like I won't see, um, I don't want to see beloved again. I don't want to see, um, oh, any, like, I just, I, I have no desire anymore to go through black, black pain and black racism um, mm-hmm. in, um, you know, in my free time, you know, uh, <laughs> it's like just too close to home. So it's interesting. It's yeah. interesting that like now black horror for what it, what, it, you know, the, what we'll call it the Jordan Peele era. As yeah. we look at it, it's like, it's about dealing with, um, you get the horror part of, you know, blood and gore and guts and violence and fun. I think horror is really funny. Um, yeah. um, so you get all the good stuff, but I don't have to like endure the psychic load of my ancestors. Like, so that's like what I'm looking for in black horror. So as I, you know, go on this journey, I think that's, that's the kind of stuff I'm going to be looking for is more like Blackula than like, I don't need to watch any more movies where people get whipped. Like, I don't even need to see Roots again. I saw it once. It's good. I recommend it once. Don't need to watch it again. Great. Well, and also thinking about even going back to thinking, I sometimes have problems with even, like, videos like uh, Childish Gambino's This Is America, right? Oh, yeah. understand it, and I think it's beautiful, but also I felt like it was as much for if not more for white people to watch and, like, have an emotional reaction. Because, like, me watching people get, like, shot like that, I was like, watching him do these very specific black African dances. Like, yes. Right. And, and I was like, Oh, but like, uh, but, uh, but I would watch white people like with like their, their lips pressing a thin line being like, this is a moment. And I'm learning about America. Yeah. I'm just I listening. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. interesting you said that. Cause me and uh, another friend of mine who 
is African from Africa. Like we were both like, what is everyone talking about? Like, is this, are we supposed to like this? Like, this is, this does not feel right. This doesn't like, I don't like anything that's going on here, but it was, you know, seen as so brave and revolutionary. I don't know about that. It was very important TM. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. He's, he's another, he's, he's an interesting character. He, uh, also Jehovah's Witness, also calls yeah. himself a genius, much like Kanye and our former president. So I have some reservations about some of his impact on the culture, but what are you going to do? And also like explicitly often in lots of ways um, raised in, in largely white spaces, right? So, yeah. And, and again, this is not a drag because also, mm-hmm. I, and also myself, right? I, I, came, I sometimes came to my own cultural realization later, right? Like I was like, I was raised in an aggressively, self-gratulatory, multicultural 1980s Los Angeles environment, which is, again, when we talk about this movie, I'm like, oh, hi, hello, hello, child. Hello. Um, yeah, but, like, my family is is Black, white, and Japanese, and we are, like, particularly obnoxiously so about it. <laughs> hi, culture? And I'm like, hi. Um, but like, so it took me a while. Like, I was, like, in high school, and I was like, oh, but I'm big. Okay. <laughs> no, I think that raises a great point about horror in general. And I think what we have to constantly ask ourselves when engaging with media in general is, who is this for? You know, right. so we say black horror, but what does that really truly mean? You know, like, are we saying this is black horror because it was written and directed, produced by black people? You know, does that, and is the, does that kind of what you're saying with um, Childish Gambino, which obviously written, produced by black people, like, but is that for black people? Like, that's a great, you know, question about, you know, anytime these sorts of lists come up and, you know, anytime, um, you know, obviously I'm a white person, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of sitting back and, and, and who loves horror and wants to appreciate everything about it, you know, but also have some sort of analysis, um, you know, just because I'm an academic nerd as well, to some degree, <laughs> you know, horror noir is fantastic. I love it, you know, because it also introduced me to a ton of stuff I never saw before anyways. And then again, on top of it, queer stuff, like we were saying earlier about Blackula, yeah. like, gosh, I had no idea about, you know, this queerness it, it, present there, um, you know, but also there's a lot of ways that queer history is hidden. You know, if we can't make the white male straight dude, the hero, then uh, we got, you know, we got to carve away all these other people to do that, to achieve that. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm just kind of rambling, but no, I, I love it. And also, <laughs> one of the parts about the four of us, right, is that none of us are going to live to the end of a standard horror movie, right? Like, none, <laughs> uh, none of us are going to make it to the end of a standard horror movie, right? <laughs> so that's like, it'll be a brave like, choice for any of us to make it to the end. It would be very important to you. Yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. we're saying story. something. Yeah. We yeah. say, wow, Wes Craven, that little boy made it oh, all the way to the end yeah. of People Under the Stairs. Well, okay. it makes me wonder about some of my, the things that I enjoy about horror movies are when, like, you know, someone gets killed in a really interesting and funny way. And mm. they're usually white people. And I'm like, was I trying to work through something that I just didn't realize? Like, <laughs> what I really love is the part Freddy Krueger, like, stabs at, you know, like, I'm like, what, what is that? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they, never look like me. they never look like me, so, you know, what are you going to do? 
horror serves that purpose that revenge either revenge fantasy or some sort of you know i think again that's why black exploitation films and then and then obviously with horror are, is so um I, I think popular because you do have these like anti-authoritarian figures who are like killing police or killing white people with impunity and without you know that the you know quote-unquote real consequences yeah. of it um you know, I think that, uh, you know, says something. I mean, I don't know. Do we have that in like queer culture? I'm trying to think is there, we, you don't really see like queer movies where we're going around beating up and murdering straight people. Not but I'm yet. sure somebody will make it. <laughs> now that you mention it, you know, the number of ideas that come out of this particular podcast, we could like start our own production company. We could really like, change the conversation. Right. It, it would be called like Gay Bash, right? The <laughs> right. It would be called Gay Bash. And it right would just there. Be, like, it's it's like and it would be it would it would be a, a, like a, a zoom in on Joe and like his eyes he'd be like let's have a kiki and then <laughs> <laughs> there we go so so on that particular note right I mean not to get too off topic but that's my role in fright schools to just drag <laughs> us in the complete opposite direction so the. I mean, the idea of that, like, when you're thinking about the two different experiences, the, like, uniquely queer experience versus the uniquely Black experience, um, and you're talking about especially, like, relationships with the police, I mean, you have one where it's, like, when you're thinking about, like, the Black experience, and please correct me if I'm wrong, as I am not a Black person, but, like, you have this idea where it's, like, there is there's such an opposition to the police. I mean, like the very foundation of like modern policing comes from slave catching. So you have this, there's already that built in. Whereas with queer people, because, because like people of all races can be queer or can identify as queer, there's always like that legitimacy. So like, you know, this is where we get into like, there's going to be police at pride. Like everyone, like in the beginning, it's like, Oh, we don't see a problem with like there being police at pride, but like, there's, you know, so there's this whole thing where it's like one seeking legitimacy, seeking more proximity to like heterosexual women, this heterosexual whiteness, as opposed to like one who like already recognizes that this is like not of God and needs to, you know, be <laughs> taken care of. I would challenge that a little bit in that there have always been people who are opposed to police and pride and always people who have been like sort of like I remember. So I sort of got into gay activism around 2008 and there wasn't really a conversation about police brutality. People didn't really, you know, not outside the black community for the most part, but a lot of, um, you know, the queer elders who I was kicking it with, who had also like, you know, been doing it in the seventies and eighties were very much opposed to the police and very much didn't trust the police because of the role they played in raids, the role they played in just rounding them up. A lot of, you know, people who were, you know, were drag queens, you know, that they were harassed. So the relation, I mean, you'll, you'll hear different versions of the story in San Diego, but the relationship between the queer community and the police hasn't been a harmonious one. And it's, it's not new. I think is more my point that there are people who want to challenge the assumption that they, that the police belong in every um, Mm -hmm. space and that there isn't a, there isn't a tension. Like there's, um, yeah. So I love that. yeah. yeah. Oh, go on. Too. No, go on. Too. I was gonna say, and to and to that same point, Zakia, like it's, um, I was uh, to that same point. It's like you know, San Diego specifically. It's such a fraught location because of us being a military town, because like the state 
uh, you know, capital S, capital T yeah. has like this like, huge presence mm-hmm. and, and, and then like, seeing how that kind of like that tension, there isn't that kind of tension. Cause it's like, you know, in post nine yeah. <laughs> 11, in like post nine 11, uh, post Obama, it's just like, you know, Oh, you, you know, this, that, and the other, uh, TJ. Oh no, I was going to agree entirely. Like, and I love that. Right. Especially cause thinking about, um, the police are also not, your friends on class, right? Like they exist often oppress poor people and people that are already marginalized and are thrown out of their homes, right? For their sexuality, then can have class precarity sometimes too, right? So then like people who, so then there's a sort of moment of, we can find moments of coalition, right? Like where there's, there's moments of the police haven't always been there. But I, I also like what you're gesturing towards Joe, right? This idea that there's also a very specific type of coded white middle-class respectability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like to call it lo- the, the love Simon activism, right? The idea that like, I just happen to be a, a guy who loves guys. Cool. That's a great story. I'm, I, I also, whole <laughs> story. Um, but like, the, the whole point of this is like, it is asking to be, it is, it is trying to, to somehow mobilize um, already hierarchical power on your favor. Right. Mm-hmm. And I will never stop being that person that lo- that 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 loves that James Baldwin quote, right? It says like, I think white gay white gay people feel cheated because they were born into a society in which they were supposed to be safe. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The anomaly of this makes them feel um, feel rage, right? And, and almost a complaint. And he's the whole point is he's like, hey, gay people is racist, just like Dracula. Right? <laughs> like, gay people not unlike Dracula, like sucking and are racist. <laughs> Like this sort of moment is right. sometimes going to be deeply anti-black. Also, full circle. <laughs> yeah. Let me. Uh, I want to ask a quick question, Joshua. Like, do we have queer horror? Like, what does queer horror look like? I mean, I know I can think of like maybe some women-centric films that have a queer tinge. But would you? Ha- is there anything that you would qualify classify as like a queer horror film? <laughs> yeah, you know. Um there's going to be a whole documentary at some point soon, you know, about it um, kind of in the, in the vein of, of horror noir. I'm not sure what it's going to be called. It, you know, COVID I think threw it into, you know, perilous territory. Um, but you know, the people that we've talked to that are part of that documentary that have been, you know, been on the show before, like Sam Weinman, Michael Verratti, you know, they they posit that horror has always been queer, yeah. you know, because it's about otherness. And some of the early horror films were made by queer people um, and queer, you know, writers and queer storytellers. Openly, openly queer writers. Openly, Pre- like Bride of Frankenstein yeah. and, um, um, oh gosh, his name just... James Whale. Yeah, James Whale. But the other guy, too, that they bring up, um, again, men, mostly, like, mm-hmm. obviously white guys telling these sorts of stories um but yeah as you know i don't know there's lots of like freddy's uh freddy 2 uh freddy's revenge nine on elm street 2 is very queer film um but you know again it's one of those that gets kind of lost in like at first they were like what's not intentional and then oh maybe it was intentional but you know so seeing it you'd be like how did nobody know this wasn't gay yeah. as fuck? you know it's that kind of thing what did we um, watch at your house? We watched something. It was like at a camp. Which which movie was it? Where sleep, oh, sleepaway camp. Sleepaway camp. It's so gay. Yeah. Very so gay. queer. <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah. And like that's an that's such an interesting conversation, right? Because like the differences between the two, like between like queer horror and and black horror is that like black horror is like explicitly black. Like mm-hmm. it's got, you see the people in it, you know, that like, okay, I see like 10 black people in the room talking about Dracula being a black guy. Like this is going <laughs> to be a black horror film. Whereas like with queer horror, 
it's it's rare that it's ever like truly explicit. And so like what goes under queer horror is like all these things where it's like, well, it was made by queer people. It has queer themes, queer message. Like there's the, you have to like read between the lines a little bit more to find the queerness. So like nightmare Two, um, like people are looking at it and like, they loved it, but like people who are queer will watch it and be like, this movie's gay as fuck. (laughs) But like, it's, he never explicitly says, I'm going to suck your dick, Jesse. You know, it's (laughs) right. Yeah. Yeah. There aren't a lot of things that are like, yeah. On the like explicitly queer, there's like Hellbent, which is like, uh, you know, Oh, the first gay horror film, which again, people would take umbrage with. Uh, Cause like Halloween could be queer. Laurie Strode is very queer, you know, and she's very different from her friends. And so, you know, maybe queer people see themselves in her rather than, in Michael, you know, because again, it's sort of like horror noir talks a lot about, you know, black people are missing from horror or they're the monster. This the, or they re- are represented by the monster. This, you know, and queer people see see ourselves kind of similarly. We, you know, we're this threat to white male, you know, white supremacy, white, uh, you know, the patriarchal society, you know, safe suburbs, you know, where everybody lives happily. And then, oh, the queer kid or the black person moves in and ruins everything, you know, in the form of some kind of monster. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I just think it it operates a little bit more ambiguously than like, obviously, if you point at something and you go, because of the race of the people of this film, it is a blank horror film, (laughs) you know? You can't be coy about a black film. You can't be like, ooh, I wonder if this is about blackness. Like... Because of the functions of it now, but then of course we know, obviously, with talking about this, that obviously some black horror you could go, this really isn't for black people. You know, they put a bunch of black people in it, but what is it really saying? Yeah. You know, and that's that's sort of the question, um, which I think will may come up a little bit in the film that uh, we're going to discuss. So maybe uh, to some extent, I read a lot of varying opinions, so we'll just see kind of how we all feel. But so let's take a real. Uh, quick break and um again thank you all so much for i mean gosh we could talk for hours about this and you know we we really should when we can uh get together for like dinners again in each other's houses and just sit around and talk about all this stuff and write these movies and and uh take yeah. over hollywood right uh, that's a possibility um <laughs> but all right so we'll be right back to discuss uh 2020's bad hair Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. (sighs) Um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males... Hi-o! From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. And welcome back. So today we are discussing 2020's Bad Hair. I think it is another addition to Hulu's Into the Dark series written by Justin Simeon. And uh, so I wanted to just kind of start real quick with this little quote from the Washington Post review, which does seem to be from uh, a white woman, it looks, um, just to just a caveat, uh, to kind of set off what we, what we can discuss, <laughs> what we can discuss. So um, 
Is bad hair an homage to pop culture history, an indictment of Eurocentric beauty standards, a critique of assimilation and selling out, or a defense of denigrated African-American narrative traditions? So, with those thoughts in mind, uh, Joe, you know, we'll start as we always do, you know, our dear horror... um, no, I'm the Sherpa. Like <laughs> you're, you're the, the Sherpa. You're I'm the wandering man. Yeah, um, I'm the wandering man. What did you um, think of uh, bad hair? Um, it was funny because I was I was messaging with TJ when he watched it, and <laughs> and he was like, "It's just it's about a weave that wants blood." And I and I responded back. I'm like, "I've just been telling people based only on seeing the teaser trailer that this movie is about a haunted weave." Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't believe I was right because blood weave, blood weave. <laughs> it's about the blood oh my weave. Gosh. If this was like again, if this was in the seventies, it would have been retitled under that yeah, and like a bunch uh, of other things like blood weave, better. like blood couple. Yeah, I kind of wrote down it was like a little Faust, a little Devil Wears Prada, a little Little Shop of Horrors. It was like had a lot going on. So what did we? Uh, yeah, what did we? Where do we want to? St- where do we want to start? It's. Um, I, I have a general question. Um, so, can, what's like? I, I'm. I'm gonna. I don't know how to say this other than to just be keep it 100 with everyone. So, like, what is everybody's relationship to their hair? Ooh, ooh, I got this one. <laughs> because like. And I mean, like, and I just say everybody because, like, Joshua, like, loves his long, beautiful locks. Like, I, I shaved my head on my 30th birthday because I had never done that before. And I just wanted to see what it would look like. Um, so, like, like, tell me, tell me a little bit, Pete, folks. What are your, um, I guess, Zakia, please. <laughs> yeah, Zakia, go ahead. I feel like this might go on for a while. But, yeah, um, like, okay. you know. I always want to talk about black hair. Like I have been tortured and pulled and all that stuff. I was tender headed as a kid. Um, So uh, I had perms, which is when we straighten our hair, white people perm their hair to get it curly, black people curl it to get it straight. I think everyone knows that now. They did not know that when I was in the eighth grade. They did not. not. Um, And uh, it, it would burn the shit out of my hair. Like I had scabs in my head for, you know, from sixth grade to I stopped, um, getting my hair done uh, when I got lost. This was like a visceral watch for you. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. And then, you know, 2001, I locked my hair up and um, got dreadlocks. And then um, only two or three years ago, my hair is natural, curly, you know, flowing like the wind. But um, right now I'm wearing a hat. And part of the reason I'm wearing a hat is I, I also went through a recent hair scare um, and Long story short, um, the products I the pr- one particular product I was using was burning my scalp again. So I was like, I was like, you know, sent back to childhood, you know, with the like scabby head and just being worried, and it started to thin out. Um, and like, I just it was just like identity crisis time. But yeah, like um, you know, uh, a lot of that has to do with being a black woman is your relationship to your hair, and then other black women's relationship to your hair. So. My mom has big opinions on my hair. My, I felt like my hair was not my own until I got it locked when I was after I graduated from high, college. And even then, I didn't feel like that was a choice. That was like because I couldn't get the creamy crack anymore. Like I could not straighten my hair anymore. So it was the hair I have now for like the last two or three years is the first time in my long ass life. So I'm 43 now, 44, I lost track, Um, that uh, my hair is how I want it to be and how I want it to look. 
um, and doesn't hurt. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it is a journey. Is- Zakia is the, so the scene where um, Anna's getting the weave put in, like, you know, you have Laverne there putting it in. Is any of that, like, hyperbole? Like, is that actually the process? Because, like, I was finding that very difficult because there's, like, needles and hair. And then she already has that, like, spot that's right there from when she was trying to get her hair processed as a kid. But, like, I, I kept thinking, I'm like, this is probably not exaggerated. This is probably exactly how the process is and 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 how it feels to do that. Um uh- is that I, is that my correct in saying that? Or? So, I don't think they're sewing hair to people's yeah. scalps, but <laughs> I, I've never had a weave, but I I have seen you know the like make the curl and then you know sew it in. I don't think they they you know pierce into the, the scalp. Into, okay, but the 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 scenes afterwards where her hair is so tight that she can't like that she has to like pat it and not like mm-hmm. scratch it. Um, the every time after I would get um a perm and also. Um, when I first got my hair locked, I went to a salon and they locked it. Like, they like squeezed it and pulled it. And like, yeah, your hair, your head fucking hurts for um, days. And like, you can't like, and you don't want to fuck it up and you can't get it wet. And it's like, whatever. So the we've seen was, did seem, you know, the blood and all that, but you know, the aftermath of it seemed pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah, it's not like sewn into your scalp, but it is definitely sewn into your hair. Yeah, yeah. And they, well, and if they it braid tight. it. Yeah, if they braid it, and then they go back in to like attach it to that. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I've had you know plenty of girlfriends that have had that done, and yeah, they've <laughs> you know, especially the immediate aftermath. Like, let's mm-hmm. go have a few drinks, maybe a smoke, <laughs> and relax. And it takes so long, like six hours, mm-hmm. sitting between someone's legs to like. It's torture. It's torture. Yeah. And that's and that's the, the gender divide too, right? Like, so for me as a man, right? Like when my hair is braided, um, it's always a fraction of the time, right? Mm-hmm. My hair is, is no more than two and a half hours, right? And usually two, right? As opposed to like nine, right? Yeah. Or six, yes, right? Which is just it. Like one of my favorite things was like always like being with black women friends who would then say like, well, I can't, like, it's like, it's like, they're talking about the, the next day. They're like, hey, do you want to go out tomorrow night? They're like, no, I'm getting my hair done. They're like, well, when are you going in? Uh, 8 a.m. They're like, but we're going to go out at, at, at 9. And she'd be like, uh-huh. uh-huh. And I'd be like, yeah, that's, that's not. It's just, <laughs> I have sat here for nine <laughs> hours. And you know what I don't want to do? See any of you motherfuckers, right? Like, yeah. No, it's, yeah. yeah. Yep. I am I am not tenderheaded, right? So um it's always hilarious because you can to be a, a non-tenderheaded light skin is always great because then you can be like, hi, I'm trying real hard right now today to just <laughs> real hard to be extra black today. Um but there there were so many moments that were so real, that moment of like where you can't when your hair is braided so tight and you can't scratch it. Oh yeah. There were like so there were so many times when I wanted to be like, oh when she slaps I was like, how many times uh, my fucking scalp in my life where I'm just like because <laughs> you can't you can't because you're like mm-hmm. yeah. it's a month we gotta leave this in it's yeah this is a long-term commitment this is only the first day don't blow it right. don't blow it. day one you gonna fuck it up on day one yeah. is that what you're gonna do yeah yeah and the first time the little hair has come up you're like why why have i done this how have <laughs> i done this to myself right so yeah 
yeah, that's how I think about like, all, yeah, the the expense, the amount, you know, of of time. I mean, it's just it's a huge investment, you know. Yeah. So again, it, it begs the question. And you know, again, I don't know exactly what um, this movie is trying to say um, overall. Um, I found this from uh, CNR research that I thought was interesting. Um, the expression of beauty through hairstyles has been a longstanding signature of black culture. From the fro to hair wraps to braids, black women use their hairstyle as a personal expression of who they are and to show the evolution of black culture over time. An evolution which has brought us to a time when more and more black women are embracing the natural beauty of their own hair. However, it doesn't escape controversy. Beauty, and specifically hair, in black culture has been a sensitive topic of discussion for decades. Uh, this says, with roots all the way back to the civil rights movement and beyond, I would definitely stress the and beyond, um, you know, since I, um, in some of my studies, I was kind of reading, you know, some articles about um, that connection of, like, hair and black people. You know, and how, like, obviously that was a big, pointing to black people's hair was another way to dehumanize them, with, you know, of like, of like making it okay. Like, no, this is fine. Look at their hair. They're, I mean, th this isn't even like people's hair. You know, this is, these are, these are animals, you know. And so when you have that kind of history, you know, and that kind of like invalidation of humanity by something that just naturally occurs, um, you know, as happens a lot, obviously with women in general, there's always this dehumanization of women that want to, you know, that don't shave or don't, you know, you know, um, do all of these beauty things to, um, to fit whatever it is society has decided at any given time is appropriate for women. <laughs> um, you know, so anyways, so obviously there's a very complex history and cultural conversation around hair that's still today. I mean, we're still talking about, you know, passing laws to make it okay for okay. people to work <laughs> in this horrible capitalist society with the hair that naturally grows from their fucking heads. <laughs> so, so watching this movie, I'm like, you know, yeah, I feel like there's a lot going on, like, you know, and because I'm not, I mean, I've definitely run into stuff having long hair. Like as right. a guy, there's still a lot of weird stuff. I, I didn't get a job because I had long hair and I refused to cut it. You know, I've had that sort of experience. So, I mean, again, there's that kind of, you know, um, it's obviously not at all the same, you know, but, but still this weird relationship with hair and like, I don't know. Anyway, so th th thoughts on that within the context of the film. Like what, what did we feel was the moral of the story? <laughs> The moral. Don't get a weave. I think you're not supposed to get a weave. That seems to be the only thing. But that's the one clear message is like, because they're made from other humans and they'll, they'll, their bad juju will eat you um, or kill you. So, but no, I think it was interesting um, that I, I like, one of the things I liked about this movie is it was a black movie and that almost every character is black. It's about a black experience. And it's not about so much their relationship to whiteness, but their relationship to wealth and status and, and professionalism. Right. And in right. those, and in the, those spaces, those kind of pressures are real. Right. Like, so, um, you know, she's got multiple, multiple people are being told if you, you will, you will get ahead if you don't wear your hair natural. If you do something to your hair, you will get ahead. And do you want to get ahead or not? And then it becomes, well, and then it becomes political because it's like, well, if it's not a big deal, then why won't you change it? And then, and now all of a sudden your hair that comes out of your head is a political statement. Um, so I think like, 
this the movie is definitely pointing to that and pointing to like it's it's raising the question um i don't know i don't know i thought that this movie was more fun when it just stopped with the you know politics of it and just sort of went for it but um yeah i think i think it does have a i think it's more like posing the question about hair like what does it mean i mean cuz in this movie it's definitely like a one to one what your hair looks like is your is your politics, is your, is your life. And I, I think for better or worse, it is true. Like you can tell something about um, uh, a black woman's politics by her hair in, entirely. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I love, I, I love what you said Takia, in terms of like, there are very few white people in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always lovely. But in this particular case, like what I find really fascinating is there are very few white people in this movie, but whiteness or its assimilation power is acting and black people have sort of like, they're doing all of the the sort of policing of it. Mm-hmm. What is mm-hmm. wild, I, one of the things I thought was actually very effectively done is that white people are so unaware of this, they don't even know enough about black hair to have an opinion so much as they know that they, they're not supposed to like a certain thing or that black women are invisible to them mm-hmm. till their hair looks like that, right? So it's like, they don't even know, right? The levels of what's happening, right? Like, cause when she walks into the, into the studio each time with her natural hair, they don't even know, they're like, who is she, right? And then suddenly she belongs, right? And in a way that like, and the white people wouldn't even be able to articulate it, right? Like they wouldn't even have the words for it. It's all black people like having an internal conversation about this in like wildly different ways, right? Like with each other about it, which I thought was, Absolutely fascinating. And I do think you're right. Like, I mean, it's simplified in this movie, right? But like everyone's politics are almost entirely depicted through their hairstyle. Like, in, like you know exactly what every every woman's like social political stance is like in a minute be, by their hairstyle. Like when her old mentor has like these sort of Tony Morrison locks. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> Gorgeous. <laughs> and they look great, right? But... <laughs> But or everyone else that has like just the weave to even like Lena Waithe and and every one of the slightly butch slash salt and pepper styles that they make Lena Waithe wear in the entire movie are amazing. Um, it's like, yeah, it's it's fascinating in that way to think about the role who's doing the policing of the hair. I think right. that's such a great point because like even in my own personal experience, like white people, when I had locks, let's say. Yeah. White people love to tell me how much they love my locks. They like to tell me how much they love Bob Marley. They like to tell me about that one time they had locks and they cut them out. And, how they they get them. and I was like, I didn't ask for this, but I love that this. Uh, yeah. Um, black people will say, your would say your locks don't look that bad like some people's locks do. <laughs> that is that is that was my that was the that was the good stuff. So it's all about like them policing and like even now I live in San Diego. I get away with shit that I could not get away with in Oakland. Like I I like because I know the white people here are not going to clock stuff that so they will cool. in Oakland. So I do not. So I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, it looks great, and I'm like, no, white people, can, white people can't tell the difference. It's fine. But like immediately, you know, because like let's say like in this moment, like we we would like look at each other, and like if uh, Joe or Joshua would be like, you look great, and then I would like look over at you, and I would give you like an apologetic face. Like, <laughs> not that great, right? Like I'd be like, sorry that I, I couldn't, and you and you'd be like, <laughs> you know, like oh my god, I love it. And I'd be like, and you'd be like, 
And that has happened so many times in particular, right? Because there's, there, you find like that one other black person and you're like, okay, I know, I know what the standards are. Yeah. I also know that we are in North Park. Yes. So. So. We're going to have to. Cool. The fact that I know I'm a little rough right now. We were surrounded by four white twinks named Jason. And it ride. Right. <laughs> yeah, so four nice. different ways. Um, you, this is this is kind of blowing my mind because, like, I mean, like this whole conversation specifically is blowing my mind because it's like you. This is where you get into like you know the the inside and outside of culture, right? right. And and it's just so it's so awesome because I'm just like like you know there's just some things that are not for me like they're just just like accepting that there's just some things that are not for me that some things I just will never understand um just like there's some things that like people will never understand about me and where I'm from and all that stuff but like it's just so fascinating because I'm just like wow this is why I try not to comment on people's physical appearance ever (laughs) (laughs) it's like because it's because it's just so you know it's like you look great and I'm like okay but like I don't feel great. And, and there's an entire culture that's telling me I'm not. Um, yeah. I just, sorry. That's, I just want to comment on that. That's, that's, that's so amazing that, and then you can have that, like you have that connection with people. Right. And then you're, you're able to have that. It just like, just like I've been in situations with TJ where it's like, we're around like other white gay people. And then we look at each other and we're like, girl, <laughs> Girl, and it's, should it's we leave? That look is immediate that you give me, and we both look at each other and we're like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> yeah. Well, I love that. Yeah. I, I I love that you brought up, you know, that feature of the film because so um, from Vulture, one of my favorite uh, writers. I read a lot of her uh, reviews about movies. Angelica Jade Bastien. So she was kind of critical of that, uh, you know, where in this film the black women are sort of all the villains kind of like enacting this, like, you know, internalized colonization on each other, you know? So she, she did not have nice things to say about this uh, movie. Uh, She called it. um, Well, actually she, about Chris Rock's good hair. And then also within context of this, a narrow minded exploration poised to have black women ridiculed and questioned rather than understood Uh, in a similar manner. Simeon's bad hair is a banal sepulchral, I can never say that word, sepulchral, tore through the failures of the black male imagination, supported by an industry that bleeds black folks for inspiration, but doesn't care for their humanity. Now, she had, um, I've used some of her reviews before, because I always think it's very interesting, you know, kind of her perspective. She tore Antebellum apart, you know, she's, you know, even, you know, films that, like, critical, critically, everybody's like, oh, we love these movies. And she's like, fuck this shit, I'm sick of this conversation and so i don't know if you do you think that like the film would have worked do you think it'd be better if there was more of an obvious like you know this is white people's doing these poor black women are enacted or or you know or is that not maybe what she means you know i don't know if she's also criticizing the fact that maybe if a woman had directed this or written it maybe it would say something more she just kind of saw it as a failure in a lot of ways and i'm just curious the, the other side of it, like besides being it's it's listed as like comedy horror, it's campy, it's silly, you know, weaves are killing each other. But like, what does that say? I mean, especially that image of like the um, the hair becoming like a noose, you know, with I mean, that was ve- I mean, I don't know. For me, watching that scene, I was like, what the fuck? This is kind of a very intense 
conversation about like colonialism to some degree Whoa. and like lynching us with our hair, you know, stealing our, our culture, our, you know, you know, all of these things from us and, and enacting this kind of um, torture, as you put it earlier on ourselves. I don't know. Just thoughts to that. <laughs> well, I, I feel like at the, I feel like the last, like what, three minutes of it is just very much like James Vanderbeek's the real villain. Like, <laughs> like, because like, he's the one you, you realize that his family is the one from the story that, you know, about the killer weave and he's basically creating all this stuff. And so like at the end you feel like, Oh, like I was like, Oh yeah. So like what it comes down to is that the, the man who, is just kind of like, you know, this background white devil who is just, um, he ends up being the villain, but you, like you realize that the, the true villain is, is that, um, but I don't know. I, I, I thought like for me, for me, when I was watching it, I'm just like, I ne- I don't really consider any of the women villains because they were all under the influence of the weave, of the weave. um, and uh, of the hair itself. And so at that point, it's just like, well, I don't, I actually don't consider them. It's like Stepford wives, right? Like I don't consider any of them bad because they're, they're just subject to the control of this, you know, um, malevolent object. Yeah. I, um, I felt like the, um, the, this is the way it works though. Like, so I understand the critique and, um, and that sucks that that's the way it is, but that also is the way it is. Like, black people do the policing and are often the villains and like like you know no white person told me to straighten my hair right like no actually said the words right but their influence is there like they are the James Vanderbeek but you know no one was in the room they weren't the ones in the room um so um but I do I did feel at several times wondered why this wasn't written by a woman or directed by a woman and like and that showed in a couple of weird ways um where one the first scene like th- that child's hair like I don't know what they were like what what was that I, th- that's not what it looks like like that's like you've obviously never seen like someone get a relaxer like what um, and then with the with the styles in the eighties and nineties like they like there were so many like tiered awesome like things like I feel like whoever wrote this was not paying attention enough in the 80s and late 80s and 90s to know what that there was more than just natural and weave right like there was a lot in between and there was a lot of really creativity like just there is some crazy ass shit going on then um (laughs) and then and I think what the author suggested like Black men do not fare well in this story at all. Like, that is, like, also, like, and I think there's, like, probably a conversation. Remember the last one? I was like, men and their dicks, man. Like, um, (laughs) why was the rapist given, like, an easier treatment, like, shot in the heart when the dude who, like, has bad, you know, who cheats is, um, you know, stabbed in the dick? Like, that feels like not (laughs) that feels like a statement but maybe it wasn't conscious but i also kind of feel like this that even the presence of you know a a a sexual like all the roles that men have are either like they're bad you know like these relationships to women are bad like i just feel like the movie kind of missed some of the things that about being a woman in those spaces that is meaningful i guess blair underwood wasn't evil um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, 
I, I feel like a lot of this too, like this movie is, is, is doing too much, right? Like it's doing too much. And therefore a lot of it gets real fucking wild. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that like her weirdly lovably crunchy middle-class family is really well explored. Um, I would love to talk to you for hours about the depiction of native Americans in this movie. Um, uh, I and and our and the fraught relationship that historically we often have in black and native communities, but like, and the really sort of I think on some level lazy storytelling about like what what I really hate is when horror does this thing where it's like it's all from the mystical native things from before the then this the bound ancestors and yeah it's like it's like it's one of the things I hate about Stephen King. It's one of the things that I was not before. Like, I was like okay, but. Um, but I agree. I agree so much, Akira, right? In terms of this movie wants to be nine things, right? This movie wants to be a campy, a, like, moment of uh, Vanessa Williams chewing every scenery that has ever existed. And we love it. We love it. Right. We, we're not mad. God bless. We want an, a menacing, weak giving Laverne Cox, right? Like, I love it. But, like, at the same time, it wants to be social commentary about black women's hair. It also wants to be strictly within the genre of like what a type of horror movie is. It also wants like, and I will, I will argue that I am one of those people that actually does not like either of Justin, Justin Simeon's um, television or film depictions of dear, dear white people, um, especially as a black person who has worked at explicitly those types of schools as the professor. Also black professors are never, there never are any, in them, and I'm like, we actually do exist, I promise. And then the depictions that he often has are uh-huh. wild in a lot of ways. His depictions of black women are often really messy. But like, like I was like, Justin, you come so close. To yes. Do- then you like, and like, I was like, you need an editor, you need a friend, you need a haircut, you need something like yes. to just come in and <laughs> like shape this, right? Because it it's doing it's doing too many things. And so I walked away and I was like, I'm not mad that I watched this, you know, 110 minute extravaganza. Right. Um, but I also at the same time, I'm like, this could have been better, but also it's a Hulu movie. And it was exactly I wanted to see some black celebrities do 1980s cosplay and get murdered with a weave. Right. Also, it was like, how many famous black people of the moment are we going to shove into this goddamn movie? Like when Nicole Byers showed the fuck up <laughs> and stole every scene that she was in in that apartment. Yes. Uh, She's amazing. Right. Yeah. I wasn't ready. And then when she I, showed up with her own weave, I was like, <laughs> which I love is, that. I love that you said that. Cause that was going to be kind of my next yeah. point, but go ahead, Joe. Uh, before I was going to say, because like Nicole Byer has her own like personal journey of her own hair and how she's always wearing wigs. And is, you know, when she travels, she like, when, when she travels, she's like, has a ball cap on no wig, you know, sweats, that sort of thing. And so to see her in this, I was like, I, Someone was intentional <laughs> about putting her in this. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, because I, I, I listen to her podcast, so I hear a lot about her history and stuff. And so her talking about how, like, she grew up in New Jersey and she, like, doesn't sound like the other, like, Black people are always constantly talking about how it is that she sounds. And so to have her be, like, the Black Gladys Kravitz who's like, you know, oh, praise God, blah, blah, blah. And, like, wow, this is... <laughs> He's dead. Bye. <laughs> He's dead. Bye. Praise God. Her, like her whole thing was brilliant. It was just like this is like not because that's not how she is, or at least that's not how she is on her show. And so to see her to like 
um, to see her. I'm like, what was that like for Justin Simming to be like, yo, Nicole, sis, we're going to need you to black it up. Like, like I, <laughs> I just kept wa- I'm like, oh my God. Um, Joshua, you were going to say. No, I was just going to point out something that I think the movie could have done a little better. And maybe they, you know, you write a script, you don't know really who's going to show up to play these characters. So fine, you know, but music and music culture is such an easy way for these sorts of uh, like colonial ideas about beauty, you know, Eurocentric ideas about beauty get out there, you know, very easily through music videos and, you know, and everybody music is such a universal thing. So I just think it's very interesting that we got Vanessa Williams, we've got um, Kelly Rowland, Usher, uh, you know, you have all these musicians, you know, and music people, MC light. uh, No, wait, hold on. What's that say? Yeah. MC lights. Uh, yeah, um, you know, but anyways, there's just a lot of people like from music. And so and then it's a music company that they take from culture to cult, which I just think is like there's like I'm like, OK, that's I would have liked to explore that a little bit more. The re- relationship there, you know, to, um, you know, to the to that role that music plays, you know, talking about, the you know, everybody always has something to say about the way women look, you know, and then obviously it's in the 80s. They, you know, make a proverbial Madonna reference. You know, they have to because it's the 80s. The only thing this film didn't play time after time, which I I think is illegal. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's illegal that if you make a film in the 80s and you don't play time after time, you're in trouble. So, um, you know, but also 1989 is when Like a Prayer came out. And that video is famously very, you know, fraught with racial imagery and, you know, the Ku Klux Klan and burning crosses, all this kind of stuff. So I'm like, there's like these hints about stuff about the role that like music plays in, um you know, in, in communicating these ideas in very, you know, um, accessible ways to young women, to young men, you know? So I don't know. I did, maybe it was just kind of an accident because they got all these people to do the film, but I was just like, God, there's a lot of musicians in this that like have to be intimately equated, you know, intimately um, familiar with the pressures the music industry puts on you to look certain ways. I don't know. I mean, the fact that they made Kelly Rowland the like, you know, like Paula Abdul surrogate, like it was just very like that was in, like also just like Kelly Rowland in general, just like having her in the film be this like pop star is, is I'm like, okay. All of the three shows, like, you know, Michelle, like she had to find her own lane and have like Usher in it and like Jay Farrow, hopefully not being himself and just being right. like, oh. <laughs> yeah, let's hope. <laughs> which, which I was like, okay, so we're coming like it, like we're definitely coming up on like the Faustian deal of all this with Jay Farrow being like, oh yeah, I, I suggested this show, but they could put Jay Farrow in this. Um, yeah, it was really, int- it, it's it, just to see all these faces. And I have to agree with TJ um, because uh, we were messaging and TJ was like, I would have sex with everybody in here. And- everyone, every person in this movie, I would have sex with every person in here. It's a bisexual problem of mine watching everyone in this movie. <laughs> You're just like, oh, oh my God, my body is ready. Um, and I'm like, I'm, I'm a huge fan of like, give me a, give me a Vanessa Williams chewing the scenery. Like, give me like, a, you know, an Ebony Scrooge, a, you know, <laughs> an Ebony Scrooge, a, a Wilhelmina Slater, like, and, and, and like, that seems to be what we wheel her out for. But mm-hmm. I love this film because it was like, it did show 
um, a little more depth. And, you know, if, and I was like, do you think Justin Simeon at least wrote her in mind? And just to have her say the line, like, you know, a killer weave, like, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him, but, you know. Can I, can I say something about the music or uh, want to? Oh, yeah, please. On the music? Please. Um, oh, yeah. Say, talk about um, it. So I think what you're, maybe what you're getting at, Joshua, is like the music choices, the actual music you hear in the music videos is very imitative. Like it doesn't say anything about the industry or about the, 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 the nature of the business. And I think that they did a really good job of um, pulling songs that were familiar, but weren't, um, they weren't like actual pop hits or anything. I thought right. she was supposed. To, I thought Kelly Rowland was being Janet Jackson and not yes. Paula Abdul. So that's interesting that that's who I pulled because I was such a huge Janet Jackson kid. Yeah, yeah. But, no, I thought Janet as well, but then they mentioned Janet later. So uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's just a cognate of you know. Yeah, whatever, but go ahead. But um, but I think it's what they were saying about the relationship between BET and Emmy and MTV is interesting and worth like discussing. Like the so obviously, I think these are you know, they're avatars for the for the two things and like mtv's role in like now i i was i was definitely a kid of the mtv generation watched came home from school watched all the videos and all that stuff i think mtv was a great segregator of kids in the 80s and 90s they the way that they programmed the black stuff away from the white stuff and neither the twain shall meet um was really caustic and um and i think like having BET to the side to, of it, which also, by the way, wasn't owned by Black people, I believe, at the time, never, right? Um, to, like, sort of, like, inform, like, what could trickle over into MTV almost and back and forth or be a little older or whatever. Have this relationship of being, like, not as important but still, like, related to it. Um, it's very interesting. And, like, I think that... Um, in, in I think what the movie's point about music is that... Black culture gets adopted by the mainstream, and they don't. And black people don't get to t get to reap the benefits of it, you know. And even Jay Farrow's character does that, right? Um, and I think that's a pretty solid thing. But I think, like TJ said, this movie's doing so much, like that you kind of lose that in the like climb to the top, and like what is her? I I honestly didn't understand the main Anna, the main character. Yeah. Is that her name? Mm -hmm. uh, I honestly didn't understand her journey completely, yeah. like, and also like what was happening to her. So, yeah. In in conclusion, Vanessa Williams chewing scenery always and forever. That's my take. <laughs> that is my biggest takeaway. Well, and one of the things is like we wanted to see this movie because we knew it was going to be Vanessa Williams, both as Joe gave two gay touchstones for those of us that we love, both Ebony Scrooge and from Ugly Betty, the two things that we love oh. her in where she is so much like she has reached peak, almost drag queen levels. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Feminine performance. Right. And so when she walked in, I was like. I'm ready. 187% ready because this is the only person, right? Also, that you were a famous person in 1989 is even wilder to me. Right. Like, you were mm -hmm. you were like 26. She remembers, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so she was just like, look what I could do. And I was like, my God, right? So but yeah, I think that this movie, it's trying to do eight, 87 things. Some of the horror is very effective because it's all of the things like, there's ancient law that we talk about that you are just disdainful of and you're not listening. Um, and and then like, and she's like, I don't do what I want. And then of course it builds. Cause it's like, it's not that bad. It killed my terribly poorly written rapist land. <laughs> and then, and then oh, nope, now I'm trying to take my own, but now it's killing everybody. Right? Like, it's just like, 
Um, also, at no point does she go back to Virgie's. No one. I'm like, what? Yes. For service. Yeah. Laverne Cox just couldn't have done the rest of this movie. Apparently, was busy because I was like, no oh, one. Yeah, yeah. Virgie's and be like, ma'am, I have deep weed. What's this? What's, ha- what's happening here? What's happening here? Um, I mean, we'll have to see Robin Thede from Black Lady Sketch. Uh, love her. Receptionist, which was amazing. Love uh, her. I felt like Robin Thede was the character most like me, who is an aggressive, light-skinned Black person overclaiming their way to belong. <laughs> okay. Oh, look, it's my character. I'm here now. Okay. I have arrived in this movie. Um, I wanted to be Nicole Byer. I was Robin Thede. I understand. <laughs> no, but that's yeah, a great I, point because I did. I wish there had been more of Laverne. I also was curious, like, what is her role here other than, like, she just happened to buy this particular stock of hair and she's not, like, involved. She's not a witch. She's not whatever. She's just, hey. But she's, like, stitching this weave in, you know, with the blood and the gore and all that. So it's like, okay, how? It was just, yeah, it was a question. And so, then we learned uh, her special formula is pig's blood. Right. Yeah. It's an appetizer. She gives your weave an appetizer. Right. <laughs> yeah. Human flesh. That part when I saw when I saw when they said porcine albumin, I was like, oh nigga, they didn't just say pigs. But I was like, oh, and then they they spelled it out, and I was like, and then of course for like a brief moment too, right? Like in amongst black people, right? We have this very lengthy, complicated relationship that we have towards towards pig in general. So yep. like. Um, both eating it is something that like, and especially pig offal and pig entrails are things that we were only allowed to have certain things. Right. And so us eating or consuming pig is become a huge cultural touchstone, but then for plenty of people in our community, there's the sense of, Oh, we better than that. We better than that now. Right. So like, also I did love the reference to that, like that being a moment of like, Oh no, we, we slather in fancy pigs <laughs> in our hair. Oh no. <laughs> As anybody who's ever had their, any black person had their hair done like that knows, everybody has a, some sort of pink pink lotion that you put on your scalp afterwards. And it's always pink. And you uh, always, as you are rubbing it in, you're just like, yeah. <laughs> uh, that is amazing. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I, I, we're getting such, there's so many educational moments in this. Uh, yeah. There's quite a few, um, like, hints at big ideas that, like, mm-hmm. don't go anywhere. Like, like there's, like, the conversation when she tries to plead to Laverne Cox for, you know, like, haven't you ever not belonged? Or whatever she said, it's like, okay, that's a trans conversation. Some of what, some of what she says to Lena Waithe, that's a gay conversation. Yep. Um, uh, Blair Underwood dro- drops this, like, thing about, like, religion and spirituality. Um, yeah, that, I wrote that down, know, the subjugation. Yeah, through, like, yeah. that. It's like these are big freaking ideas, and then it's like, oh, gotta move on, gotta get this weave, <laughs> weave uh, uh, a jumping. Yeah, yeah well, that great moment where they almost fuck up real bad about sort of instrumentalizing Native American people, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about it in the in the like they use the terrible line, you know, before the white man brought us here, the red man was here, mm-hmm. and he starts to say something, and so they give Blair Underwood a corrective line mm-hmm. where. He- the things that people say, they don't say much about these people because they conquerors don't talk about the subjugated and right. what they do, they do to fit their narrative. And I was like, okay, that was an excellent like band-aid over what is a problem part of this, right? But you still did it, right? Where you're like, we don't know it like it's like an ancient, an ancient mysterious moss demon woman as old as the land itself. But then built the plantations. 
merged with the scalps of the enslaved, right? And you're like, wait, but because they never actually fully explained to us, yeah, the weed right. problem is. We do know that apparently you're going to become a gestalt mind, like ruled by one evil demon woman thing where you no longer have your body. And I'm like, but, but, but then, (laughs) man, because I feel like I, I love, I love both Jordan Peele movies. I love Get Out. I love Us. Um, I think that, that Us is one of those that the longer you stare at it, the more confusing it gets, right? You're like, <laughs> that definitely but, is. And then, but like this one is even flimsier, right? Because you stare at it and you're like, but so what is this wave? What? Right, yeah. Where did it come from? What's James Van- Vanderbeek doing in the desert? Or the <laughs> How is Vanderbeek's colonial ass ancestors with plantations still in Louisiana harvesting demon, demon moss weaves? Why are these trucks <laughs> America giving passing out weave demon weave. <laughs> I was like, I had a moment where I was like, is is does James Vanderbeek is the demon weave tree on the plantation from Antebellum? Like, I was like, yep. are they really the same? This is that like you know deep like Reddit thing. It's like Antebellum and bad hair take place in the same universe. Octavia <laughs> <laughs> Butler tried to warn us. Yeah, <laughs> she does. She does. I, I did like the the idea of like so you know talking the the Native American thing that I noticed and I I don't know if this was intentional or not but like you know the when you're thinking about like you know good, the good weave the good weave comes from India right so like right. it does make that thing where it's like oh is this from India and I'm like well no it's Indian but like you know don't worry yeah. about it you know it's Indian but like Native American Indian as opposed to and I like how that kind of comes back later. I'm like, oh, so it is still an Indian weave. I mean, uh, granted, it's haunted. It wants blood. It's going to uh, take over your mind like Animorphs yeah. and just like, you know, have you be <laughs> Animorphs. She dropped that, an Animorphs. That was that was just for teachers. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Visitor 3. Thank you. Thank you, Visitor 3. Oh my gosh, I haven't thought about those books in forever. Um, wow, Joe, that that's an interesting, yeah. I don't know. That was just huh. for TJ. Good, good connection there. So mad. Um, Let's reboot Animorphs, but instead of Yerks, it's like the weave. It's like it's it's all people with weaves. Um. I, I just a very a, the briefest of aside, as someone who read, of course, all the Animorphs as a proto queer black kid in a largely white space, right? Who got so many things going on. I was like, um, then years later, right, I learned Afrikaans and I moved to South Africa and a common Afrikaans last name is Fisser, right? It's V-I-S-S-E-R, it's Visser. And I'm just like, colonialism explains so much. One of these white South Africans is Yerkes. Get in the Condrona Ray pool. Why do I still know these words? I hate you. That's amazing. That's... Yeah. That's incredible. I'm ashamed that I still know that much about Animorphs and I haven't read one in probably 25 years. And I'm just like, if you say Hork Bajir, I'll be like, I know what that is. So I hate you. Thank you. Thank you. For that. I love Well, this. if we did learn um, nothing else, we know that uh, everybody should smoke. Smoking will save the day. Uh, you know. Okay, I forgot about that. Uh, smoking. That's like most 1989. Everybody is smoking. She is just smoking and it's just like, like you start smoking again, yeah, it's going to come up Accurate. in the last few scenes. <laughs> it's going to be very important momentarily. This is a it's Chekhov cigarette, right? You know, you saw it the first act, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Chekhov cigarette. Write that down, Joe. That's a good. Yeah. Uh, I love them. Um, 
I think my my last my last thought on just like just because like I love it when movies jump the shark like immediately when they're in when she's in the hair gallery and like she's like it starts it kills MC Light it kills her you know it kills all these people um just goes out of control but what I love is like the woman um who has like this whose hair is like beautiful locked up she looks at her and she's like it's just hair. And I was like, lady, you're the one with like the most like beautiful, intricate looking hair. And you're the one that's telling her that it's just like, you know what I mean? Like, it just seems so anti what it is, how she's presenting, because it's like, like we had said, like everyone's political, everyone's politics is on display with how they present themselves and how their hair is. And for her to have like, you know, these, this very specific hairstyle to have like your Toni Morrison locks and, um, (laughs) And you're like Kente cloth, uh, you're like half Kente cloth, like chic. Um, for her to just be like, it's just hair, just seems so. It just seemed for me. I was just like, this doesn't seem right because it doesn't seem like you should be the one saying that. It should be someone else that's saying that. Um, yeah. It just yeah. it. And I was just looking at. It, I'm like, okay, I. And then to have her die, I'm like, okay, we know that she's gonna die, but to have her die that way was just so interesting. I I actually thought like if that she was going to die earlier when it was just the one-on-one conversation between the two of them. And she's trying to get the code to get out of the building. Cause mm-hmm. like, I was like, Oh, this is where you're going to kill her because you know, it's, that's a very, that's a more intimate death than, you know, hair goes crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Again. And that comes back to like, yeah. What is the film trying to say? Because, you know, she's like this arbiter of like black culture early in the, film or like a specific again we're talking you know when we talk about specific politics on display and they have that whole conversation am i angela davis am i diane carroll am i you know mm-hmm. like you know who what which black person wo- woman am i supposed to be so they have her do that then you know th- they have her in that scene say that and then talk about like oh i'm jealous because it looks good it's like has her undermine herself yeah. in a certain way and then the the weave actually kills her which again is this is that they is that the conversation about like the you know, this cult of whiteness and, and, and Eurocentric beauty is killing off like true culture and and replacing it. Like, is that what's being said in that moment? Like, you know, it's again, a lot is happening is what we kind of keep coming back to is, as uh, TJ said, 87 different things. So there's a lot of ways to, uh, to interpret uh, the movie, but I guess if you just want to sit back and watch kind of a, it is also has its silly kind of just, fun horror film i don't know would anybody watch it again uh, yeah oh definitely yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it, like, on the cast yes yeah. like and as soon as it hits like for me the first half was a little shaky blah yeah. blah blah but like once it went full horror movie it was very enjoyable and very cool and funny and yeah the class is amazing and it was it was fun it was fun good stuff yeah and- i agree i think overall it was fun they hit some really great one one second comedy notes, right? So like, mm-hmm. I don't think that Lena Waith is going to be taken over by the hair. And then we, when she reveals that she wasn't going to pay five hundred dollars <laughs> at Virgie's, and that's why she's not dead because she only spent two fifty from a sister that gave her the hookup somewhere else. I was like, <laughs> ma'am, ma'am, right? And I actually laughed out loud like a, a weird yeah. bark laugh i was like Bleh! like because i was like oh, okay thanks. thank you like the, some parts are really good like yeah we is this movie could have used some more baking but it is certainly not through the fault of any of those actors and yeah. i would say yeah. that i had never i don't think any of us had seen that main actress before and what a great job yeah yeah mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I enjoy Also, it. I want her to like keep acting because I'm like, I hope that this is not your, like I was in bad. I'm like, baby, you could do so much, right? Like, because she's so, you know, effective. She, when she's sort of that wallflower for, for Jay Farrow, when she is really trying to be yearning, when she's, you see her trying to do all these things at once. And I was like, I want to, I want to see this actress do more things. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. There is I, rumors floating that they're going to do a sequel to this, which I would not oh, put it past them. Uh, right <laughs> uh worse hair i love there we go um that's brilliant uh yeah so we'll see but um you know this was awesome this was such a great conversation thank you all for taking a little time out of your uh lives to watch this movie and also uh give your thoughts on it it's uh was a lot of fun um hope you had a good time <laughs> yeah this was a fun one yeah yeah all right yeah again I love and I tease all the time, but like, like I'm like, you got a black thing? You want to call me? Um, <laughs> I love every time I get to be on Fry Show with y'all. Um, Zakia, I had heard your your show. Where you you were Kevin in the Woods, weren't you? Right? Like, yeah, I did do Kevin in the Woods. Yeah. I was like, I was like, Zakia's hilarious. So like, when this happened, I was like, sign me, sign me the fuck up because this is always fun. We get to sort of shoot the shit. We get to also explore on like a slightly cerebral level, but also we can talk about the fact that Nicole Byer, don't get that weave at the end, girl. Don't get that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that does always come, you know, when we were like talking about the show, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, like how much black labor do you ask for? (laughs) You know? At the same time, I was like, well, we can't have a whole month of black history and not like have any black people. (laughs) Like, I, it's like, we that is like, called a Vanderbeek if you do that, right? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Vanderbeek the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we can obviously bring you on to talk about anything. I mean, that's why I, you know, I adore both of you because you know you both got lots to say about all sorts of stuff. So I mean, Cabin in the Woods is not, uh, you know, on the surface a black horror film, you know, yeah. right? Although we had a great conversation about the role. Yeah. Of race. I'll, I'll make <laughs> it black. I yeah. make all, if I watch it, it's a black horror film. That's okay. my new take. There we go. Take. Are we, yeah, are we like the spinoff podcast, like Black Fights? Like, <laughs> Black Fright like, School. Black School. Hi, we're the adult classes that you've taken over at Fright <laughs> Community <laughs> University. It's fine. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> you seem like we're uh, TV and you're like BET. You're the... <laughs> No. Oh my gosh. Oh no. 100%. We're a special oh block God. of programming on VH1. You just fine. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> oh Lord. Okay. Oh, no, well, that's it's always, it's always so much fun. Thanks for having us on here. Uh, also, yeah. Uh, yeah. Having, yeah. I love being on Fright School. It's so much fun. Right? Wow. Well, thank you all very much. Yeah. I wear Fright School t-shirts when I yeah, when I when I just, you know, walk from the living room to the kitchen. <laughs> I listen to oh, it on it. purpose when I'm not on it. Like I actually Same. like it's Same. in my feet. I'm like, let me listen to some bright school. Sometimes today. I go for a run and I'm like, I want to hear what Joe and Josh think about this week's drag race and also maybe talk about a horror. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. All right. Well, we, we love we you. Thank guys. you. Yeah, so much. And um, you know, dear listener, hope that you enjoyed that conversation. You know, stay tuned for next week. Actually, we're gonna be into March, so we've got some very fun things coming up in March. So, uh, yay. All right, Joe. Well, you have yourself a good night. And to both of you, thank you again. Good night, dear listener. Good night. Bye-bye. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davey Boy Productions. 
Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 